Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Can you believe this? Say it with your chest. Looking to push tempo here, the Pelicans. Welcome in and what the Pell is up, everybody. This is Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans with your host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter. Before we get started for today's episode, make sure you subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to the podcast and you leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts should you be listening over there. For today's episode, we have Stevie Cousins of the Rip City Project talking a little bit about Wenyan Gabriel, but also given the fact that Stevie is from New Zealand and has connections to Stephen Adams, we'll be talking a little bit about the Pelicans new edition in Adams as well. Stevie works under Kenny McFadden, who is the head coach of New Zealand Basketball Academy, who Coach Steven Adams when he was in New Zealand. So some pretty cool stuff on today's podcast. You think you're going to really enjoy it. So here's my conversation with Stevie Cousins of Rip City Project. And we're joined by Stevie Cousins of the Rip City Project today, of course, coming off the Pelicans, filling out their roster, grabbing Wenyan Gabriel, the former trailblazer obviously given that uh, a rip city project <laughs> we're having stevie join us today and then of course adding cindarius thornwell and will magne of course we did that cindarius thornwell podcast back when he was added to the roster prior to the bubble so if you want to check that out i tweeted it out just a few days ago and it will be included in the description of today's podcast so stevie joining us again from the rip city project um also under kenny mcfadden at the new zealand basketball academy so we'll be talking a little bit about stephen adams today too stevie how you doing today man how is it uh, in new zealand i know things kind of still suck here in america but how is it over there <laughs> um, it's good man it's good like we we don't have any community COVID in new zealand meaning that any cases that we have are uh, you, they get tested at the border and they go into the special hotel. So life is basically like outside of us not being able, the borders aren't open, but everything else within the country is like it was pre COVID. Like we literally, every, we're doing everything. We had 50,000 people at a rugby union game, um, a tournament that I worked for about a month ago. We had 163 teams all in, all in two stadiums. So Things are going really well here. I won't lie. It sucks. I can't get back to the States, but I'm pretty lucky that to live in a country that has zero community COVID, it's not spreading. It's just, we know, we have 20 or 30 cases at a hotel and uh, things are really great. And uh, I've lost my mind with this crazy free agency and NBA draft schedule, try to do it all within about two weeks, but that's all right. (laughs) It's it's the post COVID world we live in. and, And I'm grateful to also work in with, and, and, you know, NBA that really has put the players at the forefront and still tried to do content and drive things. And, and I feel that probably the most progressive sport, one of the most progressive sporting organizations in the world. So um, they made it work for agency and has been amazing this year. Honestly, I think it's been probably haven't had the blockbuster trades I thought, but I still think it's been fascinating and it's been a really great last week or two. Absolutely. It must be nice to be able to say post COVID. Oh gosh, I can't wait for those days, man. I'm uh, I'm jealous of you. But we are here to talk a little bit about the Trailblazers, Lenny and Gabriel, of course. But how are you feeling? I mean, like you said, it's been a crazy few weeks, especially for those of us that cover the NBA. Um, I I mean, if you count this as a job, I work three jobs um, and and work forty plus hours a week, so I have just been running completely ragged over the last few weeks. But Trailblazers off season. How you like their moves so far, man? I mean, they've been killing it. We talked Harry Giles. But we we wanted those Derek Jones Jr. possibly to be brought to New Orleans, um, and then you got Robert Covington. Some guys talked about him in New Orleans, and I mean, you got all those guys. Not only did you add them to your roster, but you kept them from other teams in the West. So, so how you feeling about your uh, off season there in Portland? Oh man, like I I feel like the 
coming in and I've only been doing the blog about a year now is, is when I came in and I, I realized there was quite a bit of negativity around Neil O'Shea and the moves that he, that he'd made historically. And a lot of that went back to the 2016 off season when everyone got overpaid and it was Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, Myers Leonard. Now, regardless of if um, you do or don't like those guys, they were role players. Every team went in, or most teams went in to 2016, and they spent all this money, um, a lot of it on guys that aren't in the league now, which would stank for those fan bases. But so last season, the, what the Blazers saw was that Evan Turner was traded for Kent Bazemore, Myers Leonard, and uh, the, the Miami uh, Ford, whose name I can't remember, um, he got he got moved as well, brought in Hassan Whiteside. So we saw the, the remnants of the 2016 offseason and all the overspending coming back at the end of last year. The thing that I mainly noticed is that last year, Damian Lillard took a leap in terms of his play to, I think, probably being a top three or top five player in the league now. And what I've seen this season is that Neil O'Shea, for the first time in recent memory, has used everything within his powers to try and strengthen the team for Damian Lillard's peak. So that has meant he used the full mid-level exception, um, went basically as close to the tax as they could, used the trade exception from trading uh, Trevor Ariza for Kent Bazemore, basically used everything within his power to strengthen the team. And so I don't think fans were expecting that because there was negativity last season, but Derek Jones Jr. was wanted by at least three other teams as well as the Heat, even though the Heat only offered a one-year deal. So to secure him on two years, uh, I think it's 19 and a half million, really great deal. Can defend two through four, um, one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, one of the best finishers at the rim in the league. Uh, if you look up his cleaning the glass profile, it basically shows you that he's in the top 10% of his position for offensive rebounding, steals, blocks, finishing at the rim. Like he's just a, he's analytics darling. But also he only played around 20 minutes a night with the Heat. Love that pickup. Love that pickup. Covington, the same. Amazing defender. Harry Giles, he's only 22. It feels like the Blazers got lots of those role players that every other fan base wanted, especially in the West. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, you mentioned all those big contracts that the Trailblazers gave out in 2016. Oh, we feel your pain in New Orleans. You know, they still talk about Amaro Seek, Solomon Hill, those contracts back then. Oh, dude. And, you know, the thing about this offseason is that for the Pelicans is that they didn't go out and overpay anybody. And that's a win in itself. I mean, I didn't expect David Griffin to necessarily do that anyway, uh, but that's a win in itself for sure. And everything that you mentioned about Derek Jones Jr. is exactly what the Pelicans need. So I'm a little bit salty, but it's fine. <laughs> and the, Taking the, a waiver on Giles was a great move too. I mean, he's 22. He had that horrible injury coming into Duke. Um, didn't really live up to expectations being the number one overall recruit in that class. But, man, I mean, and I love Robert Covington. He's moved around so much for how valuable he really is. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Yeah, and I think that the Blazers were trying to look for guys that, that fit what they're doing right now. And they were 27th ranked. They, were, they had the 27th ranked defense last season. But the difference was the Blazers historically haven't been a good defensive team. But with Yusuf Nurkic there – Straight away in the bubble, uh, the defensive rank during the bubble went up to about 20. So you saw how, what a difference one guy could make. But they also put guys in that could finish at the rim better because they knew that CJ and Dame were aging. I think that the fans always want to, to think about who is the better guy we can get. You know, can we get Drew Holiday? Can we get um, you know, Tobias Harris? Can we get these all-star guys? But the reality is that it's really hard to make really big trades. When these big trades come together, it's just the Blazers didn't have the pieces to better make these really big trades. So the next big move was to bring in role players on what I consider pretty team-friendly contracts. Obviously, you see Giles, Covington. I mean, these are, these are amazing, amazing moves. And I think that the Blazers had the best off-season in the league. Um, I know that the 76ers had a strong one as well, but they were coming from a position where they were in a lot more trouble. I, f- I feel like the Blazers have, yeah, have had one of the best off-seasons, if not the best off-season. And now the West is stacked, but I'd, 
I'm not certain that, especially with Clay Thompson's injury on the Warriors, I think that the Lakers are first, um, but the Blazers could be anywhere from the second best to the fourth or fifth best team in the West, depending on on how these other teams look. You see them being possibly number two in the in the West. Wow, that's impressive. Well, yeah, pretty high on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, coming off that bubble play, it, it's not necessarily the biggest shock in the world. They were just completely gassed. I mean, when you have to make that type of turnaround, it, it's it's not fair to expect them to really compete in the playoffs like I think they could have. They didn't have Trevor Ariza. Um, and, I mean, he's aging. He's not as good a three-point shooter as Robert Covington. They just flipped him in a pick and got Robert Covington. And you can never have too many wings in this league. And the Pelicans have like negative five wings on their roster. <laughs> I mean, they got Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart. And, and that's, that's pretty much it, unless you want to count Wenyon or, or Sundarius Thornwell as wings. Wenyon's kind of a power forward. But being that as slight as he is, it's a little different. But, I mean, even looking at I, I tweeted this out just a few days ago, or a few days ago, five days ago, whatever, about the, the Hawks uh, having just an absolute plethora of wings on their roster. And I'm really hoping the Pelicans uh, go out and do something like that. Because, I mean, teams like the Trailblazers, how are you going to match up from, from a Pelicans uh, point, of, point of view? I mean, you got Steven Adams to protect the rim with Nurkic. Um, Drew was kind of known as... Damian Lillard's daddy, especially in New Orleans. <laughs> and, but, but now you don't have him. And, and I mean, you got to have Brandon Ingram step up. Of course, you got Eric Bledsoe, who's coming in and all defensive team, second, second team this last season. But I don't know how teams like the Pelicans match up with, with a team like the Trailblazers. Can you elaborate a little bit more as, as to why you see them being possibly the second best team in the West this year? Yep. So last season was. I've been defending last season a little bit uh, when during the season for the Blazers, but the Blazers had the third best offense in the league. Um, and when I look back on on the season, it was fun because it was the first year I was covering the team. But the, the Blazers had very few actual NBA players. When to start the season, it was going to be um, Whiteside at the five, uh, Zach Collins at the four, and Rodney Hood at the three. Uh, Zach Collins went down in the third game of the season, out for the season. Rodney Hood went down in the 20th game of the season, out for the season. Kent Bazemore couldn't make a layup. Uh, <laughs> Carmelo Anthony was out of the league, and he came back and did a great job, but he hit 47% of his layups last year. Now, I'm not saying that Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony is washed, but in my eyes, he's between a 20 and 25-minute-a-night guy. You were relying on Hassan Whiteside, who, even though he was on a max deal, just signed with the Kings on the minimum because he is truly one of the most baffling players in the league. I, <laughs> I won't go too far into it, but have you ever seen a guy lead the league in blocks, $27 million a year, and then the next season he gets signed right at the end of free agency for a one-year minimum deal? I've never, I've never seen anything like it. And it's because the guy is lazy. He'll, be, yeah. he'll look like one of the best centers in the night, in the league on a night when he has 25 points and 19 rebounds with six blocks. And you think, and fans would, would, that didn't watch the game will be like, this guy's one of the best players in the league because he was putting up best center in the league production. Like his PER is one of, I don't use PER often, but when you look at all his counting stats, you must be like, oh, this doesn't match up. But the thing is, he doesn't chase, he doesn't close out to shooters. So, the, the, the main point is that the, the Blazers had very few actual NBA players last year. Um, and they still managed to have the third best offense in the league. Now, if you add Nurkic back in, uh, and, and I consider Nurkic, I ranked him recently, he's, I'd say at worst he would be the 10th or 11th worst, sorry, 10th or 11th best center in the league probably. But when you consider his two-way play, um, amazing defender, really great passer for a big you're adding in, and even if someone says, hey, look, he's only the 15th best center, you're still adding in one of the best centers in the league to a team that had the third best offense and 27th best defense. You're adding in Zach Collins, who is a rotation level forward. Um, you're adding in Covington. You're adding in Derek Jones Jr., Harry Giles. Gary Trent Jr. only played half of the season, and he averaged 54% from three in the bubble on 18 points a game. And this is a guy that wasn't even in the rotation to start the year. All these injuries were happening. They were like, oh, this guy's going to play 10 minutes. And then it was 15 and then it was 20. I think that 
when you saw the way that, that you know Damian Lillard, thirty points a game, um, you know, all NBA second team. When you when fans looked, when Blazers fans watch and you watch all the time, you see that the team last year, even though the personnel was pretty terrible, was still a competitive West team. Uh, and then I look at teams like the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets are a little bit worse. That this this team two years ago won fifty three games and made the Western Conference Finals, but you've you've significantly upgraded that team, and that's why I think that really the only the only two teams that I consider are a, properly ahead of the Blazers would be the Lakers and potentially the Clippers. But I don't have a lot of faith in the Clippers after seeing them in the playoffs. I think yeah. that the the Blazers have a one of the best offenses in the league uh, and potentially could be the number one offense in the league with Clay Thompson not there. Um, and then now they've added defensive pieces. So the, the proof will be in the pudding, but I think when you, when you add what's there to what has already been there, I consider it, consider this to be one of the best teams in the league. Right. And a lot of it's about making the pieces fit for sure. I mean, it's a very short off season to have all those guys come in and expect the rotation to move smoothly right away. So it'll take a little bit time to, to get used to that for sure for the Pel or for the, the trailblazers. But one thing that <laughs> sticks out to me from, from what you said about Whiteside and versus Nurkic and, and all the other, other guys that they brought in is the uh, give a shit factor. Because yes. you're not always going to get that from Hassan Whiteside, that's for sure. So to put it into layman's terms, for sure. But um, and you make some good points about the rest of the West too. And you never know what you're going to get from the Clippers. I mean, being up, what well, I don't know, it was like 25 in the third quarter, in that they were up three-one and then completely fell off a cliff. You don't know what you're getting from Paul George. I mean, they let go or they they lost Montrez Harrell, who's headed to the Lakers. The Suns are just suddenly a contender in the West now. And obviously that Clay Thompson injury, we don't know what the Rockets are going to look like. OKC is just a big freaking stack of picks. I don't know that they have anybody on their roster besides Shea Gilgius, Alexander, and Lou Dort. So there's a lot of, of potential for teams moving up, teams moving down that coming this year in the West. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting. That's, that's for sure. But to the man of the hour, and no, we're not talking about Steven Adams quite yet. It's going to be Wenyan Gabriel. Um, I personally think this is going to be a guy Pelicans fans fall in love with immediately. We talked about Gabriel right off the bat when we were talking free agents this, this offseason. I love Gabriel. I love what we saw from him in the bubble. Um, really gave some trouble to Anthony Davis here and there when they played the Lakers in that playoff series. But despite making, excuse me, not making it past that first round in the playoffs, pretty damn successful in the bubble. And, and what did you see from, from Gabriel in the bubble that helped the Blazers play so well? What did he, what did he contribute? Yeah. So I think that on a small minute role, you, you really have to see when, when fans are jumping in and they're going to look at the stats or whatever from previous years, you have to actually watch the tape with Gabriel because he didn't play a massive amount of minutes. So what I saw when he was on the court was he, he did foul a lot, um, but his energy and the way that he plays, I think he has a he has a high ceiling because of he came on later, um, he he worked on his shooting later. Lots of things have been have been sort of teared with him where he, he is he is getting to things a lot later than a lot of guys. And even though he's very raw, he he did good jobs and patches on someone like Anthony Davis. And there are very few players in the league who can cover Anthony Davis on. I would say. If you said ten positions, most most players of you know in the six eight to to seven foot range on those ten positions are going to get killed on probably eight you know seven or eight of them. Gabriel just he moves his feet really well. Um, he has great timing on blocks. He did he does things on the defensive end which it make you realize oh man if we had if we were a development team and we had two or three years to invest into this guy. You could potentially have a stretch big um, that could play 25 minutes a night and could sort of do a lot of everything. He, he's not a great passer, but I would say that he still makes good reads and his I consider his IQ and, and even his touch around the rim. I feel like he's, he, has a, he has potential that he could have a long NBA career, but I'm, we were never able to see him play 
30, 35 minutes a night consistently um, because the Blazers were trying to make the playoffs and in playing him that amount of minutes because you know he was going to make mistakes. He's very raw. But on a development team like the Pelicans, you, I think you're going to get a chance to see a lot more of him. Love his three-point shooting and how he's developed. Um, when I when I pulled up his when the first the trade first happened from the Sacramento Kings to the Blazers, pulling up his jet league stats, realizing that he's actually a long way ahead of a lot of other bigs out there that don't start shooting threes in volume until maybe they're 28, 29, or 30. So he was shooting 39% from from three on about, I think, three or four attempts a game over his G League career. Now, I know that people will say that that's only the G League, but he did knock a few down. It wasn't many. He might have attempted 10 or 12 with the Blazers or something like that. But he has a really nice form, and the difference is he's actually attempting them. It's not like someone saying, hey, look, we saw Andre Drummond, you know, trying to shoot threes in the, in the preseason. What you're seeing is here is a guy who's attempting threes from the corner. Um, he's out running in transition. And he plays with such such great energy that he's going to get offensive rebounds. Um, he's going to get he's going to get putbacks. And on those young developed teams, when you're trying to you're trying to get many you're trying to fill your roster with as many guys, you know, on the tenth through fifteenth spots, where you're like, man, if we just get one or two of these guys to become rotation members, and we started off with them on the minimum then you have a really excellent team. And I feel like Gabriel, on a two-year minimum, is a really is a really great contract. Absolutely. he's on. A, I believe he's on a one-plus-one club option, um, which is, like you said, a really great contract. That's damn near perfect for what you want to get from Wenyan Gabriel. And, I mean, you talk about the, the shooting touch, obviously. He only played, I think, 19 games for the Blazers this last season. But you can go back to his college stats and see what he did at Kentucky. First of all, he went to Kentucky. He see here shot around 62 percent from the free throw line which isn't fantastic but also shot nearly 50 percent from the fear sorry from from two-point range and almost 40 percent from the three-point line in uh, his last season he was only there for two years with the wildcats but some not bad numbers and i mean and you look at his per 100 possessions his defensive rating in his freshman year was 95.4 and then in his sophomore year was 98.3 and with points per game, it was almost 17 points per game and 2.7 blocks per 100 possessions. I mean, almost 15 rebounds per 100 possessions, his freshman year. So those are some pretty gaudy numbers. He's a long guy. He's a little bit more slight. So it's kind of surprising he was able to do what he could do against Anthony Davis in the bubble, but again, to, to reference his rawness, he's super raw. All you got to do is watch a little bit of that film. Like you said, he, his, his stats don't jump off the, the page at you, but he is super raw um, when you do look at that film. But he's also 23. So he's a little bit older than guys you go after who are raw typically. So with, with the Pelicans, when we think of players who are raw but have a high ceiling, we're looking at Jackson Hayes. But Jackson Hayes is 20 rather than 23. Is that any, any bit of concern for, for you as an NBA writer when you, when you look at that age? Um, yeah, I mean, I feel that with guys that are trying to develop the, the skill set that has shooting and that sort of stuff in it, I mean, I, I think a little bit concerning, but I also think that he didn't, he didn't get the chance to actually play proper minutes to, to be able to balance out that aggression. If you're asking, if you're telling a guy prior to a playoff series that he's going to play between eight and 16 minutes, the way that he's going to play, especially defensively, you, you can't tell a guy who, who plays like that to temper his aggression. And I would also, I would also say, look, okay, um, as long as you're not getting the team into the bonus right away, use some of your fouls, um, you know, use them smartly. But what you're going to tell a guy who's going to play between 23 and I don't know if Gabriel will have that. Gabriel this year, I think he may play, maybe he plays 18 or 20 minutes a night, for example. But what you can tell a guy, you can play 18 or 20 minutes, get into the game, get into the tempo of it, figure out your opposition matchups, you know, use the, the scouting report that's been given to you by the teams. I feel like if he's given more of a chance, then maybe we do see less fouls because he can actually get into the game a bit more. Um, you better see him attempt some three-pointers. So things will be a little bit different. I think that, that he is a 
a late bloomer, but also he hasn't had a chance to show the things that he's worked on. You know, he attempted four three-pointers a game in the G League. I feel he has a he has a nicer shot than a lot of other guys in terms of threes. He could probably hit 35% from the corner on two or, th- on two or three attempts a game. And, or maybe even more. We've seen him shoot 39% in the G League, yeah, 37% over his career in the, um, at Kentucky. He has a nicer jump shot form than a lot of other guys out there. Just hasn't had the chance to show it. So I'm not too concerned about the age. Um, I think that he's probably, his body type probably means, I'd say his body type is better than Ingram in terms of being able to put on muscle. I'd say he's probably more of maybe Kevin Durant style where you could see in a couple of years, he could have another 10 or 12 pounds on his frame. Um, but he, he's stronger than his, than his frame and his weight shows. Uh, and he isn't amazing at switching, but you see when he's engaged, he can, he can defend some threes and fours. Um, and in help defense, he just acts really instinctively where he'll come over for a crazy block or get a defensive rebound. Uh, I would love to see what he would be like on a team for a full season because this is probably the difference. You know, he had he had Sacramento where he barely played and then he came into the Blazers and he was playing alongside a guy like Swanigan. Like, he was playing against teams where the team he was on had a lot of injuries and then he came in for the Blazers and all of a sudden they were saying, you need to start. On a team that's fit, where he has a proper role assigned to him, he's had a full training camp, this is the first year I feel for Gabriel where he has all his ducks in line and he's able to come in and play a proper role. And if that's only 14 minutes, so be it. But that will be that will be significantly more than what he has had in previous situations in the NBA. And here's the thing about getting regular minutes for Gabriel is that he, like you mentioned, I mean, he's an urgency guy. He plays with aggression and the Pelicans haven't had that. And Stan Van Gundy, I think, is going to absolutely love Gabriel. The fact that he brings that every single night, no matter what. In all reality, I mean, coming off last season, the only guy that really brought that every night, you could say J.J. Redick, but it's different because he's not a defensive guy, is Josh Hart. You're getting that every night from Josh Hart. You're getting that every night from Wenyan Gabriel. And Stan Van Gundy, he's not going to let stuff slide. I mean, he's, if you miss your assignment, you're on the bench. And so, therefore, if that happens, and if that happens with some of these guys who are higher up on the roster, at least early on for sure, I think Gabriel can get some minutes there. And even you can rotate him between the four and the five, too. I think he can play small ball five, even though the Pels have Jackson Hayes and are going to want to get him uh, minutes behind Steven Adams, too. And they've obviously got Willie Hernan Gomez on the roster. But – if he starts to develop, and I mean, he'd have to develop pretty quickly to be able to take over Melly's minutes, I think. But if he can be a spacer at the four, he could really complement Zion really well and play some offense or play some awesome defense uh, for, for this Pelicans team that really lacks it, especially against those 6'6 to 6'10 type of guys. They just absolutely shredded the Pelicans last year. So I think, I think Gabriel, should he learn a little bit more, not not foul as much. He could really be a huge utility to the Pelicans this coming season. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I like his fit. And, and we'll go into it, we'll talk, touch a bit on it with Stephen Adams. Is I, I have some questions about the way that the Pelicans roster is built, but Gabriel is not one question I have. I think that his fit with the roster there is perfect. And I do like his fit with Zion. I mean, if you're going to, you have... And I don't know if I like Ingram overall, but I'm not always certain that he's always had the best pieces around him. Um, But if you're talking about playing fast, and I think Ingram does fit into that with the right teams, if you you were to have um, Gabriel and you had uh, Lonzo and you had Ingram and you also had Zion, you can play really fast with those guys. And you you do have... A guy that potentially can fit a little bit better with Zion. You do need full spacing there, but I think that Gabriel, his two-way ability and his potential is a really nice fit with Zion. Right. And then you talk about Lonzo in in the transition part of the game. Lonzo's phenomenal. You add him to that that little bit of the roster, those four guys, or Kyra Lewis, who is the fastest guy coming out of the Sears draft, been comp to De'Aaron Fox by yours truly. And his his jump shot is not bad either. So and and then Lonzo's obviously a, a catch and shoot guy. He's not an off the dribble shooter, that's for sure. But ultimately, 
I mean, this is really projection, but, but I'll run the question by you anyway. Do you see Gabriel being a guy who can contribute this year and earn regular minutes, earn and play regular minutes in the NBA? I think if, he, if, he's, if he's allowed to shoot from the corners uh, and if he comes in as the backup, I've just got, I've got the, the, the Pels roster here. If he's allowed to be a backup big off the bench, and I mean, if I look at the roster, really he has to be a backup big off the bench because you only have... <laughs> You only have Hernan Gomez there um, outside of Jackson Hayes and Stephen Adams, right? If if you say that Melly is going to be a four. Yeah, I, I mean... Not, I don't think Melly's a five. No, no, God, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even if he did play... And this is probably the hard thing for, for Zion, is that Zion effectively is like the five on defense sometimes. But I, I saw some games where Melly and him were a really nice fit. But for Gabriel really there... Um, the, yeah, I, I find the fit tough with Zion with lots of these guys. But if I'm, if I'm looking at it, if Gabriel's going to get an opportunity, I think he will be able to contribute here. But I feel like he had, the, the team has to let him. This guy here that has a nice stroke and he, you've seen it before and, and flashes. I think if you let him shoot and he plays 14, 15 minutes a night as a backup big, then yes. But... Will they will they let him play? Is the thing. Will he will he start the season in the rotation? Is the key question. I'm excited to see that. I really am. I mean, like I said, we've been talking about Gabriel from the jump, and and I think he's a guy that can be a guy who's who's going to contribute in the NBA for sure. And and I think his fit with the with the Pelicans, like you said, should he be a corner three type of guy? I think it'd be really fun to watch, and and watching him in transition will be fun too. Also, just having a guy that size that can defend the three, four, five is going to be so nice. Assuming he starts to back off in terms of the fouls and and really starts to learn the game, he could be really, really fun to watch with with the Pelicans roster. But anywho, transition a little bit here to to Stephen Adams because you work for his old coach. So uh, Stephen was with the New Zealand Basketball Academy starting from the age of 13 and was coached by Kenny McFadden, who you work for. So Pelicans need an anchor for the defense and a guy who's going to get boards in the NBA, i.e. enter Steven Adams. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. mentioned you're not so sure about the fit. Well, what do you see there? What's the concern? Um, yeah, so I think that, that the, the way that Zion plays, I feel like he needs – he does need floor spacing around him. So it's not that Adams himself doesn't fit. It's just that I think when you look at the other pieces, so for example, I love, and if you go back to JJ Reddick's days with uh, Furley when he had Joel Embiid, the two-man game between Embiid and Reddick was elite. All these little ball screens, dribble handoffs. Now, Steve can do quite a lot of that stuff. He can do a lot of that stuff. So I love, I love Steve's um, fit with, with Reddick. But then when you see Bledsoe's there, then and and you've got Lonzo Ball, then the spacing is you've sort of shrunk the floor a little bit. I I like though that the Steve can run out a little bit in transition. Also operating uh, out of the post as a passer, he really improved this year. One thing that that a lot of casual fans won't know about Steve is he is a great passer and he has a really great IQ. And this was the first year in this last season at OKC was the first year he got to show that. And he actually showed up on the stat sheet. Um, and I'm just going to bring it up. I'm just going to bring it up here. Um, his, his previous highest assist percentage was 42%. Last year it got up to, sorry, no. Previous highest was 6.3%. Last year it got up to 12.8. So he doubled his best, his best assist percentage year. And now when you compare that to other bigs, that put him in, in the 81st percentile. So you're talking about a guy who previously wasn't even in the in the thir- in the third in the best third. Now is in the in the in the top twenty percent. So operating on the perimeter, being able to either hit cutters uh, or operating out of the post and looking to to dump off to to you know to a cutter through like Zion, I like. I think that that defensively, I'm hoping that Zion takes a really big step forward because my worry would be that. Steve, Steve can switch a little bit as a defender, um, but 
some of that could potentially be scheme in the Thunder. I consider that, he, that Steve is really athletic, but I, I think that there is, that he can defend a little bit out in space. But the concern that I have is that between him and Williamson defensively, you aren't going to see... I think that they could get torched a little bit when trying to address ball screens. And then some, there will be some lineups where offensively um, you're not going to have a massive amount of spacing. But this is another thing where... Uh, in, in New Zealand here, massive fans of the Thunder because Stephen Adams is New Zealand's only NBA player, which is great. And <laughs> lots of guys have just said after he got traded, I'm a I'm a uh, Pels fan now, which is amazing. Yeah. But, <laughs> the, the tough, and it's awesome for you guys, you will get a whole bunch of new fans. I think that, and I consider Billy Donovan a great coach, but one thing I've been really disappointed about is I know the guy personally who worked with Stephen Adams before the draft in terms of his shooting. And one of the big reasons that Steve uh, was drafted um, in the lottery rather than drafted between 25 and 40 or whatever it was, was his shooting. Now, his free throw shooting is, is pretty bad, but he can shoot the three. A little bit of a slow release, but he's been used in a way where you see him handling the ball and dribble handoffs at the top of the arc. And he's not at a threat as all, at all because he never faces up like he's going to shoot it. And I know, this, I know that he can shoot it. I mean, I, I'm uncertain why Billy Donovan didn't ever have him shoot any, any threes. I think he might have attempted, it might even be single figures over his, over his career. I'm just going to look it up now. So uh, that, this isn't to, to rant about Donovan, but I think that he should be he should attempt threes now. I mean he's in the eighth season of his career. I think he should attempt threes. I think he should be taking them. And it doesn't matter I think the fans should say, oh, look, don't worry about hitting 30, 35% or whatever. But if he's a threat from there and you have to guard him out to the three point line, it doesn't matter if he only hits 30. I mean Joel Embiid only hits 30 or 32%, but you have to guard him out there because he's taking them. If Steve starts taking threes this season, I think that probably changes things for this Pels offense. I do have some slight, slight concerns around it, but Steve as a player overall is a great addition individually for the Pels. He's one of the best screeners in the NBA. He is one of the best offensive rebounders in the NBA. Um, he gets deflections. His deflections are always up around the, the top 10 or 20% in the league because he has a 7.5 or 7.6 wingspan. You know, he's athletically so gifted um just and that this is why the fan base loved him um he's just a guy who will go and do all the dirty work and i consider in terms of not just he is the toughest player in the nba i feel but not not just that but i consider that the way that he plays the game he's the type of guy that will really get the fan base behind the team and he does all the little things that if you just watched him for if you played 30 minutes a night and you didn't watch anyone else and you watch just Steve for 30 minutes, you would see him doing things that not many other NBA players can put that type of resume together. And his, the timing on his screens is perfect. Um, the, he's a, you know, like I said, he's a great passer. Amazing at boxing out. And then offensive rebounding on a team that you know, is, is, is really looking to be, to be offensive moving forward, the pieces that you have in the Pelicans, He's a, he is the best offensive rebounder in the league. Um, and he's the reason I say that I think he's better than Drummond is that Stephen Adams has always done that on playoff teams. He's got, even though he might not have the best numbers in terms of offensive rebounding, he's always second or third, but he does it on playoff teams. He does it on winning teams. He's just not grabbing boards like Drummond and not impacting winning. He, he does that on a really high level. And you'll also see that his numbers, his rebound numbers, have been depressed for a number of years on the defensive end because he played with Russell Westbrook where he would always box out and then Russ would get the board. But again, another thing that does defensive rebounding, getting deflections, one of the best bigs in terms of getting steals. He does all the things that you want that make you a playoff team when you're ready to be a playoff team. If you're not a playoff team, he helps, he helps bring your defense up right away. And then offensively, He's the, he's the glue that connects really good players together like Lonzo Ball to Ingram to Zion Williamson. Stevie, everything you just said is music to my ears. <laughs> I am so happy with everything that, that we just <laughs> talked about. But, you know, I, I mentioned Josh Hart and, and Wenyan Gabriel bringing guys that bring urgency 
Steven Adams just brings that to a whole nother level. I mean, you got to add in Eric Bledsoe too. But the thing that sticks out about Steven is the one thing that you really ended with is that he is willing to do anything and everything to make your team better. And again, Pelicans haven't had that. And he's a guy that has been in the league for a while, but he's still just 27. So I love that extension that they just gave him at 17 and a half million. He's going to make 28 this year, but 17 and a half the next two years after that. And he's a, I mean, a guy who's beloved wherever he's at and just appears to be a good dude. And that's awesome stuff that you add to a young team that is trying to build that winning culture. And even if the Pelicans don't make the playoffs this year or even next year, I think adding him to this roster is a cornerstone that you can add to the foundation of building winning culture in New Orleans. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think he he's really hard case in the way that he goes about things. He's a no bullshit type of dude. He doesn't do interviews and podcasts, you know, like or anything like that often. Very real, very quite he's he's hilarious and great in press conferences, but quite a private guy. But he is so excellent in terms of the way that he he impacts with the community. I mean, he is one of the most loved players to ever play in the Thunder. And I, seeing some of the comments from the, the Thunder beat writers when he was traded, um, it sounded to me like they were alluding towards a, a jersey retirement. Now, there's not many guys that get their jerseys retired after never being an all-star or an all-NBA player, but that's just the type of regard he's held in. And he expects a lot of himself, not just on the court, but off the court in terms of the way that he conducts himself. Um, really just a straight up guy like he'll just and the things he says like it's it's funny because the American American culture they they don't get that real like down to earth no bullshit type of stuff he just he just cuts through things and he he just cracks reporters up because he puts them on the spot and they're not used to it and fans just love it like he has so many sound bites that are absolutely hilarious and the fan base will love that but they also within a team environment He's just, you know what you're going to get out of him every single night. Um, and, yeah, I mean, he he's a connective tissue that can really help put this this young team together. And I like the extension. It's a little, if I'm being honest, I think it was a little bit more than I expected him to get. He is still worth it, don't get me wrong, because he is, he is just 27. I feel like that deal, because now he has three years left, um, it really puts certainty in in his eyes, but also I think it says, "Hey, look, we've got Zion under contract, we've got Ingram under contract, we've got Adams under contract. This is the team that we're trying to roll with." Um, but also, I think that Steve can probably play more minutes. Um, I think he could. I think as a big, he could probably average thirty or thirty-two a night. You know, it, because he is a, a seven-footer and he's one of the biggest guys in the league. I wouldn't want to play him any more than that because you want to continue to preserve his body. But I think he could average around that that amount of minutes. I'd like to see him shooting threes. I'd like to see that he is used as a passer um, because if one of the biggest guys in the league who is a post-up threat, I know that teams don't run a lot of post-ups anymore, but over I think it was the 18-19 season, he was one of the most efficient post-up players. And it wasn't, it wasn't like... Um, it was around the same level as like an Embiid type of guy, but on lower volume very efficient finishing at the rim, but he, would, he wouldn't just pound, pound the ball you know, like a Dwight Howard and ended up turning it over. Um, he would always use the ball in the right way, but if you, if you chucked the ball to him in the post and he was being guarded by the opposition big and you had you know, Ingram, who would be a threat on the other side of the court as a cutter or as a shooter, with also J.J. Redick you know, coming off screens as well, and then the threat of, of Zion cutting to the rim, I mean... That's a, that's some those are some actions that I'd really like to see the Pels run with him because he is a great passer and he is one of the strongest basketball players on the planet. He just has so many different things that he can do and um, and I love I love that he's been extended. Uh, this means that he will be in the league for ten years, which is you know great news for not just New Zealand but for himself personally. Um, I just love Steve as a guy overall. He's just such a great ambassador for the game in New Zealand and. I'm excited for him to be in a new situation too. Being that you know Kenny McFadden, his high school coach, have you have you met Stephen Adams? 
I haven't met Stephen Ams yet. Okay. So this is this is a very new um, new career for me. I've only been doing it about eighteen months, but I work with Kenny McFadden. Um, helped Steve get to to the to the league and and to Pitt University where he where he went and um, yeah, so many hard case stories about just the way that he is. But I think the thing that exemplified Steve and, and who he is is that he he said himself that he got addicted to the process of getting better and working on things. And like I went back to that, those assist percentage numbers, there there are very few bigs I feel that will be a certain type of guy, you know, who isn't who, who isn't able to pass or whatever. Now Steve has always from day one been able to to make really nice reads, but it shows that later on in his career, he has the confidence to to come in and say, Hey, look, I'm gonna chuck two or three, four or five nice passes a night, you know. Um, if I'm asked to go and step out to three, I'll go and step out to three and shoot it. Um, and Steve, just from day one when he came in, he just wanted to work and he wanted to work. And he he worked, yeah, he just worked from age 13 and he got himself to the NBA. I mean, he he just has, he just has that one thing that you want to see young players have. Like, you know, if it, if Andrew Wiggins had, had that type of the work ethic or similar NBA players had that type of work ethic, you'd see more guys would be all NBA or all-stars. Steve and Kenny will always say this, Steve just has that that real tough work ethic, but that no that no bullshit style. Unfortunately, I haven't got to meet him yet. I will get to meet him at some point in time. Um, but he he was, you know, the the I'm trying to figure, figure the right word here. He was the guy that sort of start helped start the New Zealand Basketball Academy in terms of um, going overseas and showing the type of player that we have in New Zealand, um, you know. And that was and that was that was awesome. Um, but he also helped put New Zealand basketball itself, you know, the basketball in this country on the map with who he is as a person. But then, yeah, obviously being drafted in the lottery and and getting a max deal and then being part of some great OKC teams. Now, one more question before you go in reference to Kenny and, and what he's told you about Steven Adams or, or just what you know about Steven Adams in general, a big issue for, for a specific sect of Pelicans fans is whether or not the, the Pelicans should hold on to Jackson Hayes. So Hayes has only been playing basketball. I don't, I don't know how long, but, but not very long. And he's, very, very athletic. He's a guy that I've talked about a lot as having a high ceiling, could really, really be good in this league. But his his feet aren't great on the defensive end of the floor. He relies too much on his athleticism to protect the basket, kind of like Zion in that way, but Zion's just a horrible defender in general. <laughs> and the question is, will Steven Adams be a good mentor to Jackson Hayes? Will he provide that no bullshit I mean, the quote that I tend to reference for Hayes is when he was asked about his defense in the bubble by, by some media in New Orleans, he said, I think I'm good on that end. He's a horrible. He's, he's awful. So will, will Steven Adams, not only Stan Van Gundy will more than likely call him out on that stuff, but will Steven Adams be a guy who's next to him and say, look, dude, you're not good on that end. You know, that, but also be the veteran presence that Jackson Hayes will know, you know, like this guy cares about me. He wants us to be better. All that. Will he provide that for, for Jackson Hayes and some of these other younger guys on, on the roster? Yeah, I think so. I think if, if, if you compare that to the work that hit the community work and what he does in the basketball community back here in New Zealand, like for example, now we have, uh, and we have a high school camp um, next week. It starts next week and it's the best 20 um, girls and the best 20 boys uh, in high school. And this is a camp that Steve puts together for a whole week and then they come and have a game. It's like an all-star game. This is the type of thing that he does every year. He's very big on pushing that next level of player. Um, He puts back into his community, really good family man. And his rep in OKC was he did help those young guys come in, you know. He did help them and mentor them, just like he was mentor, mentored by, you know, Nick Collison and, and Kevin Durant and Nazir Muhammad, these these type of guys that were, you know, in OKC in the early years. Steve will be, I think, a really good influence on a guy like Jackson Hayes. And I think because where Steve's been, I mean, he's been through some stuff in his life, you know. He, um, he was part of a really big family. He's something like, I think 16 or 17 brothers and sisters. And 
his, you know, he was, he was quite young when his dad passed away. You know, he's, he's been through stuff. He, he struggled when he went to, to Pitt university and, you know, when he had, when he went to prep school prior to that, he, Steve has lived and he is a real guy. You know, he has been, he's been through stuff and he has that, he has that strength of character um, because you could compare that to a kid who's been on the, on the streets of, uh, of Chicago or, or whatever, you know, Steve has been through that very similar journey. So he has that life experience. And for him, if you ask him about, you know, how important a champion NBA championship, he'd say, look, that is really important, but he'd say something like, you know, but in the terms of overall life, like what, what is it really, do you know? And that's, that's his, his, his outlook on things is, and this is why he's able to play so tough on the court and, and be these mentor to these young guys because he puts his all into it, but he just has that context where he has, he just has that bigger picture view. And um, I consider he would be an excellent mentor for someone like Jackson Hayes, the way that he goes about things. He's so community minded. And I think that when people see him getting into the new Orleans community and working in there fans, I feel like he'll probably be one of the most loved players on the roster. Really, really looking forward to, to having him on the roster and for basketball to start up. And it's going to be starting up here in, in about two weeks for, for preseason games and, and camp will be starting here soon as well. Stevie, this was awesome. I really appreciate you stopping by. Stevie Cousins of Rip City Project also works with New Zealand Basketball Academy. Stevie Cousins on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us today, man. This was really fun. Yeah, it was great, man. I really appreciate it. Um, I, I would love to, to jump on again in the future and, and chat this kind of stuff. I'm really excited for the Pels this year. They had a little bit of a reset, but I love the pieces that they have. Um, really exciting team. And, and yeah, I wish you guys all the best for the season. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. And how to, Stevie, sorry. <laughs> have a good one. That's all right. <laughs> There you have it, Pels fans, our conversation with Stevie Cousins of Rip City Project and the New Zealand Basketball Academy. If you want to hear more from Stevie, he's also got a Bulls podcast and the Trailblazers over there for fan-sided on Rip City Project. You can check him out at Stevie Cousins on Twitter. Thanks so much for tuning in today, folks. Make sure you subscribe and or follow depending on where you are listening to this podcast and you leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts before you go, go check out thebirdrights.com and believe.com for other podcasts and Pelicans content. Folks, once again, I am Elliot Clough, and this was Believe in the New Orleans Pelicans. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.